Turn your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're studying this little book of 1 Corinthians. You remember that the Apostle Paul <clears throat> was born in Tarsus. He came to Jerusalem to study the feet of Gamaliel, one of the great rabbinical priests and rabbinical teachers of that day. It was there under the direction of, of the rabbi that he learned to hate Christians. Probably before he came to Jerusalem, he didn't know anything about Christians. But Jesus had been crucified in Jerusalem, and the mobs of Jerusalem had been taught, crucify Jesus. And that caught on with the Jewish mind. And uh, Paul was taught to hate Christians. And so he spent some time going out and arresting Christians, putting them in prison, and trying to get them executed. And then he was going to Damascus to kill the Christians there, and God had an appointment for him. Ten miles outside the ancient city of Damascus, he saw a light. And the light was so bright it blinded him. Then he heard a voice, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He said, who is it? Who are you, sir? And the voice said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And then Saul said a simple word, Lord, what will you have me to do? In that moment of surrender, he gave his life to the Lord. He was told to go to Damascus. A man would tell him what to do. He went there and Ananias came to see him, baptized him, and told him that God said, you're going to suffer great things for Christ's sake. He preached a while in Damascus. They hated him. You see how quickly the tide turns? They loved him as long as he was going to kill the Christians. And then when he becomes a Christian, the tide turns the other way. And I want to tell you, the same thing will happen to you. When you become an out-and-out -out Christian who does not laugh at the dirty jokes, does not curse and swear, does not participate in the lifestyle of the world, some will feel uncomfortable around you. They think you're judging them. They'll call you Mr. Goody Two-Shoes or Holier Than Thou or something like that. That's what they did to Paul. Well, he went to the Arabian Desert, was alone with God for three years, then went back to Tarsus. A revival developed at Antioch. Barnabas went over to Tarsus, got Paul, brought him back. They were there a year. Then God said, separate me, Paul and Barnabas, as a mission team. They went down to Asia Minor. And it was there they found Timothy and Lystra. But remember that Paul was stoned and left for dead. And it was that situation that touched Timothy's heart. Timothy's mother was a Jewish lady. His daddy was a Greek. But Timothy became a Christian by watching the life of Paul. Some years later, they came back, maybe a year later, Paul came back to, Tart to uh, Lystra, and Timothy, a young man, maybe 16, 17, 18 years old, asked if he could go with them. So he joined the mission band. They wanted to go to east toward Bithynia. God said, no, go west. They went to Troas. A vision of the night said, come over to Macedonia and help us. They crossed the Aegean Sea. 
went to Philippi. Three people were saved. Lydia, a wealthy lady, a streetwalker, and a jailkeeper, and his family. They threw him out of Philippi. He went to Thessalonica. He preached there three weeks. They threw him out of Thessalonica. Went down to, to Berea. They threw him out of Berea. Went down to Athens. Not much happened in Athens. Three people got saved. Then he went to Corinth. He stayed in Corinth 18 months and built a great church. But remember, the church was built in the stronghold of Satan's territory. If any church ever had a problem, it was the Corinthian church. Interestingly enough, this is the church, the only church in the New Testament that talks about speaking in tongues. It was a carnal church. It wasn't a spiritual church. You just read the pages of 1 Corinthians and you find out they were divided over their leaders. They were divided over lawsuits, taking each other to court. They were divided over immorality in the church. They were divided over getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. They were divided over whether men should wear long hair. They divided over meat offered to idols. They were divided over the resurrection, the heart of the Christian faith. Some didn't even believe in the resurrection. Paul wrote the entire 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians to say, if there is no resurrection, then we're still in our sins. Our faith is vain. But now is Christ risen from the dead, become the first fruits of them that slept. Well, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians answers to these problems. First problem was division over leadership. We dealt with that in chapter 1. Second problem was over three kinds of people. That's in chapters 2 and 3. There were natural people who had never been saved. They knew nothing about God, knew nothing about spiritual truths. They didn't even like people that had spiritual understanding. Paul said they were natural men. They could not understand spiritual things because spiritual things are spiritually discerned. Then there were some that had become a Christian, and when you first become a Christian, you're a babe in Christ. The problem was, some of those have been a Christian for several years, and they're still babes in Christ. And Paul has to deal with that. He said, I couldn't write unto, unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, as babes in Christ. Then he spoke of spiritual Christians. And he said, the spiritual Christians will judge the world. It's very interesting when you become spiritually minded and you become somebody that can tell spiritual truths and recognize error from truth, a lot of people won't like you. Even some Christians won't like you. That's what happened in this section. And he dealt with spiritual people. I mean, he was urging people to go on and be spiritual because there were so many babes in Christ. And we come to chapter 4. And chapter 4 is a very passionate chapter. And I want to read some of it. We don't have time to get through all of it tonight. But let me read some of it. Let a man so account us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. You know what a steward was? The word steward is from an old word that had to do with pig pens. 
A steward was somebody who took care of the pig pens. Now the word itself is from two words that meant the roar on the lowest level. That means in the ship, they had ship crew that worked upstairs, they were ship crew that worked in the engine room, and then there were some at the very lowest level, their big job was to roll, roll, roll. You heard that song, roll, roll, roll your boat? That's where it came from. Roll, roll your boat. Their job was rowing. They weren't in charge of anything. They were to keep things going. If they didn't do their work, things wouldn't go. So he says, you and I are stewards. We're the under-roarers. The way the Christian faith gets moving, the way the Christian movement gets going, is for you and me, who are stewards, to be the under-roarers, to roar, roll, 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 and get the boat going. The black people had a song, the old ark's a and the old ark's a and I'm going home. The idea was, the old ark is a ship of Christian faith, sometimes called the church. And the ark was movering as the people movered it, <laughs> as the people roared the boat and got it going. That's where you and I come in. And so he says, let a man so account of us as ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. We are the underroars of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found careless. Is that what it says? You sure? Many Christians read it that way. It is found in, it is required in stewards that a man be found careless. Live any old way you want to live. It doesn't say that. It is required, required, required. When you go to the service, there are certain things required of you. I don't know what they do today, but during the war, you were required to wear a uniform. When you become a Christian, you're required to wear a uniform, the uniform of Christ's righteousness, Christ's truth. It is required that a man be found faithful. Faithful. The word faithful means full of faith. A man that is so filled with faith that in some instances that faith can remove mountains. I think of the great man in England who ran an orphanage. He never asked anybody for money except he asked God. He would pray every day, Lord, supply the needs. He built an orphanage and took care of a thousand children. In the morning, every morning, he would bring them together to have breakfast. Many times they had plenty for breakfast. On this particular morning, they had no food. Nobody really knew that except some of the help in the house. And so he got the kids together. He said, let's thank the Lord for the food. And over in the kitchen, some of you are saying, we don't have any food. What are you going to do? These children will be hungry today. 
He led in prayer and said, thank you, Lord, for the food. And just about that time, a knock came to the door. A man came to the door and said, we've got extra food. We've got extra bread. We've got extra cereal. What do you need? They brought all the food in that he needed. Where did he get it? Faith. Faith. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. All right? It is required a man, in, in stewards that a man be found faithful. <clears throat> but look in verse 3. With me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you as of, or of, of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self. For I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified. Yet am I not hereby justified, but he that judges me is the Lord. You see, they had begun to doubt Paul's apostleship. You know why? Because the going got tough. It was tough down in Corinth to live for the Lord. It was tough when Paul would preach against these divisions, against Christians taking other Christians to court, against divorce, against some of these strong, strong things that Paul preached, and so they began to attack him. Verse 5, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart, and then shall every man have praise of God. We don't really have a right to judge people's motives. Judging actions, that's one thing. Judging motives is entirely different. We don't have a right to judge people's motives. You don't have a right to say, well, the only reason that person gets up to sing is because he wants to be, he wants to be seen of everybody, or he thinks he's really somebody. That's judging motives. What a tragedy. But if your preacher begins to cuss and swear and tell dirty jokes, Brother Mickey, do you have a right to judge that? Yes, sir. You better come to the preacher and say, that doesn't, that doesn't belong to you. You see, we judge actions, but not motives. Never, never judge motives. That's the reason gossip is so seriously wrong. Because when you deal with gossip, you deal with what you think somebody else is doing and what somebody else is thinking. And maybe they're not thinking that at all. And you're judging what you think are their actions when all you're repeating is something you heard somebody else say. You never saw it yourself. So we need to be very, very cautious about that kind of thing. We do not judge. Jesus said, judge not that you be not judged. He was talking about motives, not actions. Paul often spoke of actions. All through Corinth and through the church here, he talked about the, the importance of, of self-judgment concerning watching our own lives that we not go astray. Verse 6, And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that ye may learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou dost not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? Now you're full, now you're rich, Ye have reigned as kings without us, and I would to God ye did reign, that we also might reign with you. 
So what he's hinting here, some had begun to doubt Paul's apostleship because they liked Apollos. Now, God does not plan for us to put one person above another. We need to treat all people alike. On the other hand, we need to recognize gifts that certain people have and encourage them to exercise those gifts. There's no way in the world I could play the piano like Sue Brown does. And some others in the auditorium here. I can't play or sing like Cammie Joe can sing and play. I certainly can't play like Miss Retha plays. The best I can do is go over and play Flea as a Bird. I memorized that when I was in high school. But that's all. When God gives you a gift, develop it. I've noticed some of our young people with gifts, they begin to develop it. And my, what a blessing it is. I think of Mrs. Vaught developing the gift. You know, she's been in this church a long, long time, over 50 years. <clears throat> right in the beginning, as a young married person, she and Pete, Pete was a Sunday school teacher, and he was a president of our brotherhood for a while. But they both began to be involved. Every Sunday evening, now listen to this, the Vaults, the Sunny Guys, the Joe Van Meters, and uh, the, May, the Morrises, the Homer Morrises, they all lived close here. Every Sunday night, they'd have something in their home, every Sunday night, and they'd invite me. And they'd all come over there, and they'd just have a good time eating and talking and fellowshipping and praying. Those young adults directed so much of the work of this church. They worked with our GAs. They worked with our RAs. They worked with our youth program. They worked in all those areas. They developed what they had. Thank God for our school. But listen, our school is a mission of the church. It is not the church. We have many of our people that are really, really involved in the school. Praise God for that. But your work in the school does not excuse you from the work in the church. Just because you do something over at the school doesn't mean let somebody else do it at the church. No, no, no. You need to be just as involved in the church life as you are in the school life. I don't hear any amens. A quiet silence. Maybe I'm hitting on something that you don't like. I like you anyway. I don't apologize a bit. This is what the Word of God teaches. It is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. And the first fidelity is to his home. Secondly, to his church. Thirdly, to his work and school and all the other things. Thank God for our school. I'm so grateful God led us to have a school. It could become a God to some of us, if we're not careful. We could say, that's more important than the church. No, it isn't. A thousand times no. The church is one foundation. It's the church that Jesus died for. Thank God for the Riverside Chapel. Thank God for our foreign mission program. Thank God for our bus ministry. Thank God for our school ministry. But if we give 
all we are to those ministries and forget the church, the church will be in trouble. Silence. I hear no amens at all. That's okay. I love you anyway. Now listen, let's go on. My time is up. I'm sorry I have to quit now. But look, keep in mind that our big, big mission in the church is to win people to Christ. That's the one big thing. Go and tell around the world and here. I, I like something Brother Ronaldo said the other night. He said, when the Great Commission was given, going into all the world and preach the gospel, your witnesses to be in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. He didn't say, finish Jerusalem first and then go to Judea, finish Judea and then go to Samaria, finish Samaria and then go to the ends of the world. He said, do it all at one time. That's the reason we have missions to Mexico. That's the reason we have a bus ministry. That's the reason we have soul winning teams. That's the reason we have mission gifts. And thank God that during this month, you have given much to world missions. God bless you for that. But let's keep on doing it. Keep on doing it. Keep on winning the lost, going after the lost. Thus I would go in missions of mercy, seeking the lost, finding them for Jesus. Let's stand and have a word of prayer. Our Father, thank you for the privilege of being in the house of God tonight. Thank you for everyone who's here. Thank you for the word of God that excites our hearts. Help us to be faithful as stewards of the manifold grace of God and of the mysteries of God. And may we go in Jesus' name, conquering as a church to do what God wants us to do. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. 13, page 13. Since I started for the kingdom, let's sing that hymn, If God Has Moved Anybody's Heart. You need to come and make a commitment to Jesus, please do it. And listen, if you're here without Jesus tonight, please do not leave without him. Come to Christ, trust him as your savior. And let God place on your heart somebody you can go and witness to before Sunday and bring them to God's house. Let's sing.